Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with the veteran Detroit sports writer Tom Gage about his new book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Detroit Tigers. Tom Gage's first ever book is a full-color look at the 50 men and moments that made the Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers, the award-winning beat writer Tom Gage, recounts the living history of the Tigers, counting down from number 50 to number one. Big 50 brilliantly brings to life the Tigers' remarkable story from Ty Cobb and Kirk Gibson to the roller coaster that was the Bless You Boys era to Justin Verlander's no-hitters and up to today. Tom Gage covered the Detroit Tigers for the Detroit News from 1979 to 2014. In 2015, Gage was elected the 2015 winner of the J.G. Taylor Spink Award by the Baseball Writers Association of America. Gage also serves on the screening committee that formulates the annual Hall of Fame ballot. Tom Gage's new book has a foreword written by none other than the legendary Tiger Alan Trammell. The Big 50 is Tom Gage's first ever book, and I began my interview with Tom Gage by asking him what took him so long to write his first book. Well, what took so long is my career. Uh, I would be committed to baseball from February through October, and at the end of the year, I had to say hello to the family again. So basically, uh, yeah, I just didn't want to, uh, I mean, I've only been out of uh, covering baseball for three years, and in the second year, I I wrote a book, and um, I, I really enjoyed it and hope to write another Tell us about how you structured this book. Why did you cho- choose these uh, the Big 50 in Detroit Tigers history? I mean, we have a mixture of you know events and, and profiles of people. Why did you decide to, to structure the book this way? Well, I decided it was the the book idea was the uh, was Triumph Books out of Chicago, and uh, it's kind of a, one of a series of books that uh, on that. On that subject that they're doing, this is the third one. The Giants and the Blue Jays also have had books written about them. But the, what appealed to me about it was that uh, they let me rank the 50. And so what I decided to do was alternate individuals with events. And uh, it, I didn't, if, if an event was the number one, uh, was the top chapter, then I would go with an individual, and that's what I ended up doing. If, if an indiv- individual had been the top chapter, I would have gone the other way. It's so fascinating how just a, a, the, the few words in, in the, the very first uh, listing in, in the Big 50, just for any even casual Tigers fan, we immediately know what you're writing about and talking about. He don't want to walk you. It's no, just, Sparky's. Yeah, Sparky's immortal words too. Yeah, Kurt Gibson, and you know, Sparky was so involved with with that that even while the ball was in flight to right field, he kept saying he didn't want to walk you. He didn't want to walk you. <laughs> and uh, if you watch the whole sequence on YouTube or wherever you can find it, it's still a delight to watch to, to this day. Oh, it it really, really is. It it really is. As uh, a baby boomer, my, I grew up uh, 
with LK line still still remains you know my my biggest tiger hero in, in all your years as as a writer tom did, was did you play favorites was it, are you as a reporter supposed to stay objective i'm not, i'm not friends with anybody on these teams because i have to write about the good and the bad or were there just certain people you you gravitated towards o- over the years because you just couldn't help it because they were so nice well, that, that's a really good question because you do try to stay objective and fairness on, on both sides of the fence. I mean, you have to be able to criticize and you have to be able to praise. But I think writers do gravitate to the players who talk and and are available after a game. You only have so many minutes after after a game to go to players and get their reaction. And and especially today, uh, there aren't many players in that clubhouse who uh, who want to stand up and and answer the questions. But I, I, what I realized, Martin, was that uh, uh, friendships were forming. Even though I, I was uh, being objective, and uh, uh, when I got into arguments with Kirk Gibson, with him as a player, and Jack Morris as a player, we were forging a, a friendship that I think it lasts until this uh, this day. I mean, Morris, I had to figure out, and he had to figure out the uh, the, the writers. Uh, but he was just competitive with us, and and now we can sit down and talk. There's there's a part of the uh, Jack Morris chapter where he uh, in 1984 he got off to a great start, and then he leveled off and got mad at the at the media and stopped talking. But when he resumed talking, he did so by saying that there was one writer who really bugged him, and that was me. And uh, he he told the free press uh, that I didn't know anything about baseball and should be covering. And that uh, I should be covering shuffleboard. Ooh. Well, I I forgot about that, and, and the free press asked me for for my reaction. I said I don't have to say anything. Jack has has found a scapegoat. Well, when I was interviewing Jack for the book, we got a big laugh out of that because neither one of us remembered it. It was just a spur of the moment thing, and uh, n- there were there were no grudges held. And and frankly, I had long since forgotten about it. But we did get a laugh about it, and Jack and I can sit down now. And uh, and have have really good conversations. Besides uh, the the many well well known players, El, Ty Cobb, El Kaline, Hank Greenberg, you write about some events that are are lesser known and people lesser known in, in Tigers history. I was fascinated by uh, the the chapter coming close in 1909, and then uh, another piece uh, about a man named Bobo Newsom. Not not all that familiar with with these two events in Tigers history. I, I like the fact that, that and baseball is just so rich in in history. That you, you dug really deep for some of these stories. Well, I really appreciate that comment because that's what I tried to do. Uh, I, even though I was switching from from beat writing to to book writing, yeah. I was still trying to be a reporter, Martin. And I was trying to find I, this wasn't an attempt to just regurgitate the highlights of of different careers. I wanted to find out something that people didn't know. That's that's why uh, I was happy to. Uh, to find out some things about Harry Heilman that Ty Cobb told him on his deathbed that he was in the Hall of Fame when he wasn't. And uh, then he worked after after Harry died in uh, 1951. And uh, he, at the end, he was a Tiger broadcaster and highly thought of one. Uh, that's when Cobb told him that he had made the Hall of Fame. And then he worked hard the year after to make sure that happened. He called reporters and he called different writers and he campaigned for Heilman. 
And a year after, in the voting after Heilman's death, he actually made it. But I, I really appreciate the mention of Bobo Newsom because that that was a chapter of discovery for me. I had known, I had heard of Bobo Newsom, but I didn't really, uh, I wasn't all that familiar with his career. Well, in, in 1940, he he had a spectacular year, and the Tigers went to Kansas, uh, to uh, Cincinnati to open up the 1940 World Series. And Bobo's dad uh, down in South Carolina had always wanted to see his his son pitch a, a World Series game, and he came up on the train from South Carolina to uh, to Cincinnati for that game, saw his pitcher, saw his son win the game, and then Bobo's dad went back to the hotel and died that night. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, they, there are many colorful stories like that. And to me, again, the research for it was fascinating. Oh, yeah. And t- take us into the 1909 World Series that you write about well, as well. The, yeah, the 1909 World Series... Um, uh, was an interesting one because the Tigers had had really been blown away in in '07 and '08, and it looked like they were going to uh, be blown away again by the Pirates in 1909. But they actually uh, came close, and uh, in in the sixth game, it was a bloody game. People were carried off in stretchers and got spiked all over the place. But it ended when one of the Pirates tried to steal third in the ninth inning when he represented the tying run. Now, if that happened today in a World Series when a player tried to take it upon himself to steal third with a game on the line, uh, I, I think it would be a huge event. Well, the Tigers tied that World Series, so they went to their first Game 7, and then they lost that, and in fact, a blowout. A pitcher by the name of Wild Bill Donovan uh, lived up to his name and was wild that game. And the Tigers uh, didn't uh, get back into the World Series again until 1934. Right, right. Let's stay in the, the 1930s. Uh, th- this man is such a hero to me, and way before my time. But I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by Charlie Geringer, uh, and in this this era of preening egos, to have someone so quiet and so efficient and just get the work done. I don't know. I just like like the work ethic. Uh, of this guy. Tell us more about Charlie Geringer. And is it Geringer or Geringer? Because I hear it both ways constantly. Well, I always called it Geringer, uh, but right. I hear it more often as Geringer, and I think it is Geringer. I think that's the way he pronounced it. And Charlie was, you know, he 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 was a farm boy from Fowlerville, and he uh, he was just born to play baseball. And uh, when... when um, uh, an outfielder, I believe it was Bobby Veach, uh, left the Tigers. He he uh, told them about this prospect out in Fowlerville, and it was Car- Charlie. G- well, I'm going to call him Geringer because I always have. Sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, and so he tipped them off on on this talented uh, uh, infielder, and it, it turned out to be Geringer. And and Charlie, uh, at first, it was undecided whether he was going to play third base or second, and uh, he ended up at second because of other things that happened at third. But uh, he was every bit as quiet as you heard, you know, he, as you always heard he was. The, only, the one thing he always had to do every year, I mean, to, to, there were always rumors, I don't know what it was about his driving, that he had been in an accident for five years in a row or six years in a row, Martin. <laughs> he had to deny, he had to, de- to deny rumors that he had been killed in a traffic accident. So I don't know if he was some sort of wild driver or not. But there's one point that I found when <laughs> for a reporter, for, I think in the fifth year that he had to ask it, it was a formality. So he <laughs> he asked Geringer, 
were you killed last night in a traffic accident? <laughs> and Geringer said, no, I wasn't. But again, it was a question that haunted him almost his entire career. Oh, that's crazy. That is crazy. Let me just touch on two, two more of uh, the Big 50 in your in your new book, uh, Tom. And, oh, gosh, the, the the emotions of that final game at Tiger Stadium. Uh, my wife and I were there for that. And, oh, man, I, I it was... Uh, I just kept saying over and over, kind of to myself, "We're never. I'll never see anything like this again. I'm never going to see anything like this again." I, it was. I sobbed walking out of that that stadium that day. Ah, oh, well, every, yeah. Everybody had their oh. special moments. That's for sure. I I taped. I, I it was back in those days. They it, the uh, the the uh, you know the video cameras were larger, but I taped my final. Uh, entry into Tiger Stadium mm. and going up the elevator to my spot in the press box, and that's something of you know that's something of personal value that I'll that I'll always treasure. But and after the game, I just drove around the stadium. I kept driving around the stadium, uh, playing the uh, the soundtrack of a league of their own, uh, yeah. which is one of my favorite movies. And uh, you know, it was it was certainly a passing of an era, but. The game itself was fascinating because, and we all remember Robert Fick for hitting the uh, the last home run. Yeah. Well, Robert wasn't even supposed to be up at bat. Larry, uh, Larry Parrish, the uh, manager, had decided to uh, pinch hit Frank Catalanato for him. But but uh, Larry got into, uh, his nickname was LP. LP got into a discussion at home plate about a, a play and forgot to tell Catalanato to get ready to pinch hit. Well, Fick saw the opening, grabbed his bat, and went up to hit, thinking that he was going to he was going to get one swing before LP uh, called him back. And in that one swing, he hit, he hit the grand slam. So, <laughs> you know, Robert just said, uh, you know, I just I saw the opportunity. Nobody was calling up a hitter. It was my t- uh, Catalanato was supposed to pinch it for him, so he just kind of slipped in there and hit the. Hit the last home run, Isn't but uh, and it was a great, it was a great, great moment. He was wearing Norm Cash's number, and Frank Beckman's call was a classic. Yeah, well, let's finish talking about. Uh, I'm sure he's a hero to you as well. For me in broadcasting, are you kidding me? Ernie Harwell, and I couldn't believe writing about the the Ernie t- Ernie Harwell losing his temper. I never, <laughs> I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> yeah, he was on the train reading the paper, and uh, when Leo DeRocher, the manager, came by, and Leo was a kind of a prickly guy, and uh, uh, he was always an agitator, and he loved to do things that got people uh, on edge. And uh, Ernie was re- reading the paper, as I said, and, and Leo kind of flicked his finger at the uh, at the uh, pages so that uh, Ernie lost his place. And he did it a couple times, and Ernie said, please don't do that. I'm sure he did it as politely as as, as we can imagine. Sure. And finally, when DeRocher did it one more time, he got up and put Leo into a hammerlock. <laughs> and uh, and they got into a little bit of a tussle. So uh, Ernie used to like to tell that story. I mean, Ernie was, uh, a, was a Marine, so he was no one to uh, to fool with. And uh, before he knew it, uh, DeRocher was a feisty guy. But before he knew it, he was in a hammerlock, and it was Ernie applying the hammerlock on Leo DeRocher. And it was the only fight I... I uh, you know, I, I knew Ernie a long time, and I never saw him lose his temper, but uh, obviously he could. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers and our interview with Tom Gage about the Big 50, the men and moments that made the Detroit Tigers. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Go get them, Tiger.
Series bound and picking up steam. Don't 